Sunday night. How are we? All right, you guys knew better. You guys knew better. Sunday night. How are we? Let's read this together. Psalm 66, one through four. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are Your deeds! So great is Your power that Your enemies cringe before You. All the earth bows before You. They sing praise to You. They sing the praises of Your name. Let's worship tonight. Let's say, Come, let us sing. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow. Yeah. 
This is awesome. Look around. I mean, we have a packed house tonight, socially distanced, of course. Uh, we are so glad that y'all are here. If we have not met yet, my name is Josh. I am brand new to the college team here at Fellowship, and it is so good to be here. Uh, here at Fellowship, Fellowship College specifically, our mission, our purpose is we want to, we have a desire to see a movement of the gospel in the city, in our day, that goes and changes the world. Everything we do here has an eternal purpose and a global purpose. And so if you want to be a part of that, whether that's through leading or serving or joining a small group, or if you just want to know more about that, please come talk to us after, and we'd love to share that vision with you. But let's go ahead and continue to worship together.
good. God, as your promises never fail, and I just ask that we would lean on you this week. Lord, because nothing in our lives can satisfy us. You alone can satisfy our souls. So Lord, I ask tonight we can rest in you. We can rest in your peace. We can rest in your strength, God. And I just ask that you leave this room different. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all grab a seat. Um, welcome to Fellowship Sunday night. My name is Garland. If I have not met you, uh, I would love to meet you. Maybe uh, when all this is over, we can hang out at some point. But uh, I'm so glad that you're here. We might see each other in a parking lot later. Um, you, I can hear you singing, and that's awesome, even through the Mass. And so just being able to come in this place and actually get to sing to the Lord together is awesome, and I need it. Um, uh, I introduced myself a few weeks ago just briefly, um, but by way of introduction, if you're new with us, uh, this video about the show is probably the best introduction I can give to kind of what my life and my wife's life is like. We have a very obnoxious, loud house, and I'm kind of an obnoxious, loud person. If you've been around, you've seen this video before, but just like my Razorback football predictions, I would like this video to become a yearly tradition just because it is that ridiculous. And so this video is of my son about three years ago. And we were at a friend's house with another little boy. And uh, they're playing this game. There's like a little, it's a little uh, game that's got a, a plastic hand. And you put shaving cream or whipped cream on it. And then you turn a dial and eventually it throws it in your face when you're not expecting it. And it's supposed to kind of scare you. Okay, so I'm going to play it twice. Uh, I'll kind of narrate as we go because you'll really... You'll pick up on the subtle nuances the second time around. So uh, let's fire the video and see what happens here. This is Titus right here. And that's my wife talking. And this is his friend, Brooks. And now you get a sense of kind of what happens. Okay, normal. Titus loves it. He loves it. Now watch what happens when Titus has it. I was actually looking at videos on my phone of my kids the other day. This one, I was like, I got to show it again. Let's watch one more time. Humiliating my poor child. He loves it. Yeah, this is so funny. And that's pretty much how things always are at our house. Um, I don't know where he gets this either. Um, so anyway, that's Titus. He's eight now. Um, and that's, he's pretty much the same. Um, when is the last time, kind of a random question, when is the last time that you either sent or received a letter? This is rhetorical. Don't answer, obviously. Uh, but when's the last time you hand wrote, sat down and hand wrote a letter to somebody or somebody wrote a letter to you. Like it seems like that style of communication has fallen really out of style in kind of the modern world. We don't do it very often. It seems like it's reserved for like special occasions. I did a wedding last weekend down in Greenwood and uh, when, the, when the groom proposed to his wife, he had got down on a knee and he had read a letter that he had 
written to her, and I'm thinking, I think they're going to frame it and put it in their house. Maybe, maybe one of your parents wrote you a letter before you went to college, or like a grandparent wrote you a letter when you turned 16, or uh, something like that. I don't know when the last time you wrote a letter or sent one. I, I actually was thinking about this, and for me, um, I don't send letters hardly ever in my life. And I was thinking, when's the last time I wrote a letter to somebody with like my actual hands, not on a computer? And I think the last time was this. This is my Collins Bible. So if you've been around, then uh, uh, I have Bibles for all of my kids that I'm going to, I write in and I'm going to help make sense of passages and then give them to them, give these to them when they turn like 16 or 18. I haven't really decided yet. And I think this is the last letter I wrote. So I'm just going to share it with you. This is for my youngest kid. Her name's Collins. And uh, this is what I wrote her for what it's worth. This is how letters sound, I guess. I, have, I don't do this very often. Here's what I wrote. I wrote Collins. Uh, this was, I guess, a year and a half ago. You are currently 14 months old, and it is New Year's Day 2019. We are so blessed to be your mommy and daddy, and I thank the Lord that you are our little girl. Two months ago, you had a scary seizure that had you in the hospital for three days and us terrified. Yet the Lord was so good to us in that, in that you made it through. He's a faithful father and our only source of hope and joy. This Bible is yours, and I pray that you will be a courageous woman of the Lord who loves Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and deeply loves people. I pray that you will be a faithful woman of devotion to the Lord and his word, that you will be passionate about making disciples and grow to be a steady rock of trust in the goodness and grace of our God. The Bible shows us the nature and character of our God, so read it, study it, memorize parts of it, and live by it. I hope this makes it easier to understand and pray that the word of God will guide your life. I love you, Daddy. That was the last time, I think I wrote a letter. When's the last time you wrote a letter? It's something we don't do. And as I was thinking about this whole concept, I started thinking, you know, we actually do write letters. We see people writing things out and communicating. Like, I don't know if you've seen these. It's become kind of popular now for people to either take a screenshot of their, like a note on their phone, and then they post it like an open letter to all of my fans or an open letter to all of the world or something like that. And it's really become popular with athletes and especially in the culture that we're living in right now to kind of gather your thoughts and write a letter on a note in your phone. Uh, Demi Lovato just did this and sent this thing out in Vogue and then put it on Instagram. And as I was processing, we, we have this desire to write things out and to express ourselves. And we actually do communicate through written letters more often than you realize. It just almost all happens digitally now. And as I was thinking about this, it, it struck me that while we don't sit down and write handwritten notes anymore, handwritten letters, we're constantly communicating in written form. Like if you think about it, a lot of the text messages and DMs you send are super short, not that important. In fact, we do a lot of pictures now as we send back and forth on DM or text message. But have you ever, have you ever had that moment when you are communicating with, it happens more than you think, you're communicating with somebody either on text or a DM and you begin to agonize over what you're going to say. Like maybe you're writing an email to your professor and you are asking to get for him or her to bump up your grade from the 88.9 or the 89.3 to the 90. And you sit there and you work out, how do I want to say this? I've been such a great student. I'm in there every time. Don't you know I've been great? I'm, I really like you. I'm going to say something great. I'll write my professor about you. This is awesome. I'm really good. Please give me this. Or maybe when your parents are communicating something that they want you to do that you don't have any intention doing, and you're figuring out, how do I want to communicate this back to them? Or it could be, and this happens, I think, pretty regularly, when you are in conflict with one of your friends, one of the ways we handle that now, it's almost never face-to-face, -face, we begin to communicate back and forth in written form through 
text message, and you can, if you've had that experience, you're sitting there going, okay, I know they're upset. I know I'm upset. I want to communicate this. How do I do it? Now, the worst one, I hope this doesn't happen in here, but the worst form of letter writing, but on instant messenger or on text message or something like that, the worst way to do this would be if you're in a relationship with somebody and you start thinking, you know, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore and I want this thing to be over. And you begin contemplating, how am I going to get out of this? And some of you have done it. Can I just say, if you're in a relationship right now and they're sitting next to you and you, you kind of want it to be over, can I just ask you, grow a set and actually do it in person, all right? Just do it in person. You don't have, don't be breaking up with anybody on text message. If you've done that before, then you need to repent. <laughs> you had the guts to go be with that person, you know, and all that that entails, and now you're going to hide behind instant messenger or text message when you break up with them. Did I say grow a set? I don't think you're supposed to say that. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I hope there's none of my bosses are in here. I hope not. Um, or just adults. I hope there's no adults in here. Um, we do actually communicate quite a bit in this sort of written form, even though it seems like uh, we don't. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to let this be a little bit of an intro for us as we're going to dive into and continue our Clarity 2020 series. If you're just now joining us or you're new to the U of A and you've, you're a freshman, the, our church has been in a year-long study where we want to see Jesus more clearly. We've called it Clarity 2020. And uh, there's some books on the way out today. If you don't have one, just grab one. Uh, we're in our last season of this, uh, this year-long experience. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happens when the gospel, the news that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the world's true king, what happens when that gospel message empowers a group of people in a particular local community, and they begin to live out gospel implications. And we're going to spend this semester looking at one case study of that in this church in Thessalonica, or as we usually say, Thessalonica. So we're going to study the letter of 1 Thessalonians this fall. That's what we're going to do, and we're calling this our gospel time. We're looking at what happens when the gospel empowers people to go live out a gospel-centered life in their world. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them up, go to Acts chapter 17. What we do in Fellowship Sunday night is what we do at Fellowship Bible Church. We're Fellowship Bible Church. We want to study books of the Bible. We want to understand what's going on there because that gives us, it unlocks for us the ability to know and follow Jesus. And so the Bible is communicating a story, and we want to know that story. That's why we do this. We're studying together books of the Bible, letters in the Bible. Here's where we're at. We're in Acts chapter 17. So in Acts chapter 17, we've got to get our background tonight. I'm going to go short tonight because what I want to do is I just want to sing, and I want to hear you sing because I, I just, that's what I need. So I'm going to go real, and short for me, longer than most, but we're going to go short tonight. And what we're going to do is we've got to get the background of this letter. Then I'm going to send you guys out, hopefully the rest of this week, to go read the letter out loud with your friends, and we're going to walk through that letter over the rest of the semester. So Acts chapter 17, here's the background. The, the, the Messiah Jesus has come onto the scene, and he's announced himself as the true king of the world. He's announced himself as the answer to the problem of sin, and yet he was rejected, he was handed over, he was flogged, and he was crucified. And the, da the dating of that, some scholars put it at 30 AD, some put it at 33 AD, publicly executed as a common criminal. But then something changed 
directly after that, on the third day in Jesus' resurrection, by the way, if you're, if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know about this whole Jesus story, I'm not there yet, this is what we're, this is the central idea of what we believe is that this crucified one became the resurrected king, and in his resurrection, the followers of Jesus were like, oh my gosh, can this guy really be all that he says he is? And what began to happen is, terrified followers of Jesus who thought their Messiah had died started living radically different lives. And the, the flip, the change, was they saw. They saw his appearance. They saw his resurrection. They witnessed his appearing to them, and it changed everything. And these little followers of Jesus began to go out like ripple effects on a pond. They began to go out from Jerusalem, out farther and farther and farther. And some of those little followers of Jesus, that little group of people, small little group of people, they began to go into other cities and proclaim the news of Jesus. And one of those little teams had a leader named Paul. And this dude, Paul, was a follower of Jesus who's trying to figure out what it looks like to go from city to city to city into the Roman world saying, hey, there's a different king, and it ain't Caesar. There's a different king, and his name is Jesus. And so Paul began to go city to city to city. And what we're going to see is on his second trip, his second missionary journey of Paul, he's going to go out from his normal spot, which is Antioch on the right side of your map. He's going to make his way through modern-day Turkey. And for the first time, the gospel is going to push in to the new continent called Europe. And the gospel is just going to be spreading city to city to city. And you can see in the top left of the map here, here is Thessalonica. It's, it's technically pronounced Thessalonica, but we can't break it. So we're going to Thessalonica. This is the city where we're going to see Paul on this journey walk into. You got the scene? So this group of Jesus' followers is going city to city proclaiming that Caesar is not Lord Jesus is. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, here's what we see. When Paul and his companions had passed through, now I was struggling to say this. Let's, on three, I want you to say how you would pronounce this first city, because this is one of the things about the Bible that makes it hard is we don't know how to pronounce stuff. So here we go, on three, however you would say that top, that, that top right word, say it out loud. One, two, three. What was that? Let's try it again. One, two, three. It's like an added syllable. See, it's weird. It's like a strange word. Anyway, they came to that city and then to Apollonia, and then they came to Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And we're told there was a Jewish synagogue in this town. Now, we've got to get some understanding on what's going on with Thessalonica. This is Thessalonica today. It's the second largest city in Greece behind Athens. It's a big, popular city. It's a tourist city. It's a port city. There's people coming in and out of this city. And the same thing was true in the first century. Based on archaeology, they've done artist renderings of what they think this city might have looked like in the first century. And in the first century, it was, a, it was an important city in this region called Greece. I like to think of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, as the Los Angeles of that part of the world. If you think about LA, it's the second largest city in our country, and when you walk into LA, I have not been to LA, but based on everything I know about LA and all my friends that have gone to LA, LA seems like a place where it is filled with the idolatry of the American culture. If you think about it, you've got the, you've got the media there, you've got sports there, you've got money there. You've got famous people there. You've got actors and all of our, like the movie industry there. You've got the idol of beauty there. You've got the idol of how thin can I be to be impressive. You've got the idol of connection and how important can I, it's there. It's an important city with lots of people coming in and out. And as a result, all of the idolatry of the, of the region centers in that city. 
That same thing is true in Thessalonica in the first century. There's temples everywhere, gods that are worshiped everywhere. You see, in America right now, we live in this weird dichotomy where we have a sacred and secular divide. Like right now, you're doing religious stuff because you're at church. But then you're going to go do your secular stuff, and there's, that's really the, like the, the you time. And we've divided out the way that we think from religious and non-religious, sacred and secular. None of that is true in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there's no such thing as my religious time than everything else. Everything in the ancient world, they believed, was animated by the power of the gods. Everything. Sex, love, uh, like your, your next trip you're going to take, economics, fertility, the rain, the crops, all of it is animated by the gods. And how do you get the gods on your side? You go to the temple, you bring an offering, that offering is sacrificed, you then eat with the priests, and they would have these huge parties in these huge festivals that would make some of our parties look lame because you would come together, the city would come together for this particular deity. Let's say it's Mars or it's Zeus or one of these particular Roman or Greek gods. And you would have this huge festival and they would, you would bring the sacrifices. The wine would be flowing. People would get crazy drunk. And then once people got nice and liquored up, they'd bring out the temple cult prostitutes and you'd begin to worship the gods through having this big, crazy sex party then you'd go home, and you hope that the gods will see what you've brought, and then they will come and bless you in your culture, in your world. I mean, it kind of sounds like parts of Fayetteville at times, doesn't it not? So if you think about what's going on when they come into this city, imagine it. I, I, I'm a visual person, and it helps me to try to put myself in the scene. Here comes Paul and his companions, we're told. And everywhere you turn in Thessalonica, there's another temple, another temple. There's some prostitutes, another temple. Here over here is people that, are, that have made, made a killing just selling stuff, and they don't care about anything else. It would feel like how you would feel if you were going to go into one of the major cities of our country, and you're going, hey, I've got a message about this guy named Jesus, and it changes everything about your culture and everything about this city. We need to put ourselves in that feeling and what it would feel like to be there. Let's see what happens. Verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and the synagogue is a place where the Jews gather. So there's enough Jews in the city to have a synagogue. And Paul goes in, and for three weeks or three Sabbath days, Sabbath starts on Friday night at sundown and ends on Saturday night at sundown. For three Sabbaths or three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Look at verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and a lot of God-fearing Greeks. I love the last line here of verse 4, and quite a few prominent women. Okay, thank you. So they're seeing people come to know Jesus. Now, th now, think of the number here. We're talking a handful of people, maybe a couple dozen. That's it. So in Thessalonica, a town of, of tens of thousands of people, we've got a couple dozen followers of Jesus, and they've, they've listened to Paul, and they've gone, yes. That, that's unbelievable. A crucified one is the re resurrected king. What? I'm in. But look what happens. Does other Jews got mad. In fact, they were jealous. And I love the NIV translation. Says, they, they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. I mean, we've been watching, uh, we've been watching like, like protests, and then some of those have turned to mobs and riots in our, in our country for the last several months. I mean, imagine the scene. 
You've got a few, uh, three weeks Paul's been here. We've got a handful of people that have come to know Jesus. One of them's name is Jason. He's probably wealthy because the church is meeting in his house. And then out of nowhere, here comes a mob of, what are they? Bad characters outside the house. And I imagine them banging on the door. Where's Paul? Bring him out here. We want to talk to that dude. Get Paul out here. Now, look at what, what we're told. They did not find them. I have no idea if Paul is in there hiding, if he's just not there, if it's just good timing, he was at home, he was just out of the store. I don't know what's going on, but Paul's not there. And they said, fine, you, Jason, they drag him out of his house. Put yourself in Jason's shoes. Put yourself in the early, the, these, these few followers of Jesus. They just said yes to Jesus like a week earlier. And now here comes their friend Jason, drug out of his house, and they brought him in, and they're, they're, probably, getting, they're probably getting hit and slapped and spit on and yelled at, and you've got a mob all around, and Jason's brought into the main part of the city. And what we're going to see is everything goes to chaos, as often does when, uh, when riots break out. It just goes to chaos. And then what we're told is they sneak Paul and Silas out of town at night, and he's going to make his way down south to this city called Athens. You can see it right there. He makes his way to Athens, which is the main city in that region. And here's Paul. He's got Silas and Timothy. They've, they've had crazy things happen. In Philippi, they got arrested and a riot broke out. Thessalonica, a riot broke out. And so Paul goes, I'm worried about my, I'm worried about my friends like, I'm worried about Jason. I'm worried about these little tiny groups of church, this little tiny church that's meeting in Jason's house. So he sends Timothy to Thessalonica, and he sends Silas to Philippi. Hey, go check on him. Have you been there? Have you, have you ever had an experience in your life where you didn't know what happened to somebody that you loved, and you were waiting to hear news? Might have been somebody in the hospital. Might have been somebody in a car wreck. You were waiting to hear news, and all you want to hear is, man, I hope they're okay. Paul sends Silas up to Philippi, and he sends Timothy to Thessalonica. Go check on them. Let me know how they're doing. I don't even know if they're alive. Have they made it? Last time I was there, they were dragging Jason out in the street wanting to beat him down. And Paul goes down to Athens. He sends them up, and they said, let's meet up at Corinth. And when Paul spends about a year and a half in Corinth, he's going to receive word from Silas and from Timothy. And here's the word. Timothy comes from Thessalonica and says, they're okay. They have some problems, but they're doing, they're doing great. Like they are, they're still loving Jesus. This is awesome. Come on. And so when Paul sits there, he hears that news, and you can imagine the relief. If you've had that experience, when you get the news, everything's okay. In relief, Paul sits down with Silas and with Timothy, and he begins to write a letter. And that letter, he's going to send back to his friends in Thessalonica. And that letter is what you're going to get to read. That's 1 Thessalonians. That's the context of what we have to understand in the background of what's going on. So here is, uh, here's the situation in Thessalonica. Paul has left. Jason got beat down. He's back in his house. By the way, this is a first century house of somebody that has some money. And so likely this is what it looks like in Jason's house. And I want you to put yourself there. Like I said, I'm a visual person. You've got maybe 12 to 20 little followers of Jesus, and you've only been following this Jesus guy for a handful of weeks, maybe, maybe a couple months. Timothy went back to Paul, and you're waiting on his letter. What's he going to say? What's Paul got to say to us? 
and they gather around in a room that would look very, very similar to this. 20 people. I'm at your, your community group, your small group, your cell group, whatever that is. And they're waiting. And here comes Timothy. I've got the letter. Let's see what Paul has to say. And the way that this would work is the person who delivered the letter would read it. And they would say, what, hey, what did Paul mean by that? You were just with him. What, did, what, what was that all about? Man, that was really encouraging. Go tell Paul. Now, what I wanted to do, what I considered doing, was in this moment, we were going to read all of 1 Thessalonians, all five chapters, so we could get a sense of it. But here's what I'm going to do instead. I, I want you to flip in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians, okay? Turn there right now. Uh, I got the sense tonight that... Uh, we needed to sing, and I need to sing, so I'm not going to make you do that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do this. In the white space, so here's, here's my Collins Bible, the white space up here in 1 Thessalonians right there. If you don't have a study Bible, I want you to write down this outline right here, because when you study books of the Bible, it's always helpful to know what the heck's going on. If you're like me, and you read the Bible this way, or here's how a lot of us read the Bible. We go, God, I'm going through something right now, and I haven't read my Bible in a few weeks, months, whatever, and I need you to speak to me. And so we plop it open. I'm just going to randomly plop it open. And I have, okay. During the reign of King Josiah, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on the high hills and the spreading trees and has committed adultery there. And I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. That's not the word that I wanted. So let me go New Testament. Uh, all right, Lord, should I break up with my girlfriend or not? Uh, let's see. Oh, Acts. This will be good. Okay. The next day, he saw a vision of a sheet lowered from heaven with animals on it. I guess I'm supposed to break up with her after all. I guess I'm supposed to. Probably need to. Uh, but I'm not going to text it to her, right? You're not going to go do it in person. So, while that's okay, I'm not making fun of that kind of Bible reading. Uh, we, we want to train you. It's our job as a church. It's our job to help equip you for the work of ministry. And one of the ways we do that is helping you learn this thing. And so I, I'm going to ask you to write this outline down. I just gave you the backdrop of what's going on in this letter. And I want you, I'm begging you, with a group of friends, your community group, your roommates, whatever that might be, do it tonight even. I want you to either take turns or one of you volunteer to do it. I want you to read 1 Thessalonians out loud to each other. Put yourself in this room. Imagine you're there. And you're waiting on Paul's letter. Now, in our country, it is a felony to read somebody else's mail, right? You read somebody else's mail, that is a felony in our country. And my bet is that uh, if I were to look at the text messages or the letters back and forth from like, if you're in a relationship in here from you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend, if I were to just plop into that conversation, your text messages, I would have no idea what's going on. It would be totally confusing for me reading somebody else's mail because I'd be getting one side of that conversation. And what we want to do for you is we want you to be able to see as much as we can see before we go read a letter like this. And that's what we're going to do over the course of this semester. Now, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to close. I skipped uh, a couple parts of Acts on a purpose. Here's how we're going to close because we need to sing. Look at the message that they bring. This is the gospel message that they bring. They show up, and I'm, I'm, I want you to imagine this message being what is brought into your fraternity house, 
your sorority house, your dorm room, your family, whatever that may be. See the message. They show up to Thessalonica, and they begin explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Here's what they say. Jesus is the Messiah. And you and I hear that, and we're like, so what? The Messiah is the story of the Old Testament, the answer to the problem of sin, the one who will come and bring forgiveness, the one who will come and set his people free, the long-awaited Messiah. And Paul says, that's Jesus. But the second thing he says, we see it down here in verse 6 and 7. They show up and they go, man, these guys have caused trouble all over the world. And here's what they're saying. They're saying that there is another king, a king called Jesus. Look at verse 7. Boy, and that's defying Caesar. In this world, there's one king. There's one son of God, and it's the Caesar. And you worship him and him alone. Can you imagine the guts it would take to walk into a pagan city like Thessalonica and go, now there's a different king. And this king was the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And he did give his life as a ransom for many. But he has been resurrected and he's victorious. And all your offerings of kings and all of your offerings of glamour and all of your offerings of riches, whatever you offer me, Thessalonica, Fayetteville, it's nothing compared to this king. Can you imagine the guts that would take? We might summarize it this way. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It literally means good message. It's a pronouncement. It's news by which everything is changed. And the gospel is this. It has a Jewish sense and it has a Roman sense. The Jewish sense comes from Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the, feet, on the mountains are the ones who brings euangelion, the one who brings a gospel. And what is Isaiah 52 about? Here comes Yahweh to rescue his people. He's here. It's the long-awaited answer to the problem of sin. Forgiveness is here. Freedom is here. Liberation is here. No more being enslaved to the power of sin and death. It's here. The Messiah. And there's a Roman sense of this word. If you said euangelion in the Roman culture, that was a word that was used primarily for Big news, big news about the emperor, the empire. It was reserved for important news like our military has conquered another nation. We are now reigning even more supreme than we were before. Or the new Caesars ascended the throne. It's a news about kings. Here comes Paul. We got, a, we, got a, we got news for you. It's a different king and his name's not Caesar. And here's the crazy part. Hear me. The crazy part about the... So, that's the Jewish gospel and the Roman gospel. It goes like this. Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, and Jesus is the true king of the world. Now, here's the crazy part of this whole thing. There's a Jewish and there's a Roman sense of that word, but here's the Christian sense of that word. And this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you're living for. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, hear it. That the way that Jesus became the Messiah and the true king of the world, the way that, that was accomplished was through a cross. It's crazy. Yet on that cross, he shames condemnation. He scoffs at sin. He breaks death. And so Paul and those companions of Paul, they hear this message and they go, we can't be stopped. 
Look at how they respond. Man, they've caused trouble all over the world. What are we going to do when people get this gospel message and it takes hold of their heart and their life? Well, that, that's what we're all about. That's what we pray for. That's what we aim for. It's what we're about here is we want to see gospel people empowered by this message, living it out with their mouths and their bodies and their life and their money and their time and going out there. I don't know what would happen in our city in our day. Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin. We're set free. Look around Fayetteville. Look at the slavery to sin, the slavery to idolatry, the slavery to body image, the slavery to sex. Freedom. And there's a different king, and all the other kings will fail compared to this one. That's the message we carry. So with that in mind, I'm just going to, I'm getting off the stage. I need just to pray because I want to sing. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pray, and then let's turn and lift high this Jesus and let's celebrate this gospel. And if you have questions about what that looks like, we would love to invite you to come talk to one of our staff, the person that brought you. We'd love to process that. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, indeed, you are the Lord. You are the king of the world. You're the creator of the universe. And yet you're the one who came lowly and humbly You're the one who entered into the mess called sin and allowed it to ensnare you on the cross so that you might break its power over humanity. The power of death and spiritual rebellion that had taken place in all of this world, you said, I win on the cross. And in your resurrection, we see the victory. And you made it ours. What a message we've got. And I pray that we would be dangerous people for you in our city in our day. Like nothing would stop us. That, that Our city might even say, man, they turned the whole world upside down. So Jesus, that's what we're about. That's why we're here. Our, we want our lives to make a difference for you because you're the only one that's worthy of living for it. So right now, we lift high your name. We celebrate your good news. We celebrate your gospel. We do all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.
Hallelujah. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. night. We love you guys. Same time, same place next week. See you guys.